Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hey everyone, good morning. So good to see you. My name is Andre. I'm the lead pastor here at the city. To all of you in our church family, grace and peace. I love and miss you so much. And I can't wait for us to come back together again. I'm so appreciative of the way we are able to meet even this time, this online gathering church format. Uh, If you can imagine, this would be the eighth week that we've been curating and running our service experience in such a manner. And though this is so great and we love it and we love being able to stay connected, uh, I'm sure all of you like me pine for the day when we get to come back together. Hopefully real soon we'll be back together in this very hall, worshipping our God together. And I'm so, so expectant and looking forward to to that day. Uh, First of all, I want to say how proud I am of you, church. I'm so, so proud of you. Uh, Every Sunday, we have uh, at least a hundred unique viewers tuning into this stream. And many of you, uh, I would say almost all of you uh, in our church, have been so faithful and committed in showing up to church as we know it. And so, first of all, I'm so proud of you. Thanks so much for staying true to this church community, of being committed of staying steadfast in your commitment, in your love towards our church community. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of you. Uh, Second reason I'm so proud of you is that uh, you guys have been so faithful with uh, your giving. Uh, I would be honest to say that as a leadership, as a pastoral team, we were prepared for um, certain uh, drops in our giving and Perhaps you wouldn't be able to meet uh, certain budgets that we have for the year. But you guys have been so faithful in giving and so kudos to you. I know it isn't an easy time to be giving in this season. But thank you so much for modeling faith, passion and uh, just commitment uh, in this time. So, so proud of you. And uh, many of you are still staying plugged into LG. You know, I've talked to a whole bunch of you and many of you have said, about how your LG leaders, how your life group leaders have really stepped up in this time to care for you. And so kudos to our life group leaders. Just shout out, declare which life group you're from in your comment section. Uh, Your life group leaders, they're doing a phenomenal job reaching out to you, caring for you in this time. They're really kind of like our frontline pastors in this time. So kudos to life group leaders, so proud of them. And uh, the last group that I'm so proud of is our staff. Our staff are really doing a phenomenal job picking up different skills, learning new things, uh, expanding uh, what they know, uh, expanding what they have to do. So, so proud of our staff team. And I believe, you know, if you were aware of all that goes on behind the scenes to make church happen, uh, you'll be so, so proud of them as well. So, so proud of us, church, for how far we've come and where we're going in the days that are ahead of us. A couple of things I'd like to bring to your attention before I begin uh, this new series and uh, explore God's Word together with you. It's one, Excel uh, mentioned in the announcements, we have this new Love Our City page. Now, this is a great way for you to get engaged with uh, some of the needs that we see around us in the wider community. These are places where you can volunteer, you can sow. So I want to encourage you to, uh, in this time where you have uh, added margin, maybe you have more resources than you need to sow, to give of your time, of your energy, of your money, uh, to meeting some of these needs. I'd like to assure you that as a church, 
uh, we are in the midst of activating some plans and some initiatives that we have uh, to serve the wider community. And so I want to encourage you that in this time to get involved uh, in your own way with some of those uh, initiatives and uh, volunteer opportunities that we have curated for you. And also be on the lookout for uh, the announcement where we would uh, inform you of uh, what we are going to do and what we're going to give ourselves to as a church in this time encourage you to do so. Uh, and the other thing I want to bring to your attention is our pastoral care strategy. Now we have uh, been rolling this out for the last few weeks now and uh, if you're in life group you would have already heard that in this time we are implementing a care group or buddy system kind of a, a setup in all life groups and the idea here is to create smaller groups within the bigger life group committee. And so if you're like a life group like mine, you know, we have about 16 to 20 people in our life group, uh, it's really easy for needs to be overlooked. And so in this time, we want to make sure that everyone is adequately cared for, their needs are surfaced. And also want to encourage you to be committed to the buddy system, to the care group system uh, in this time. Uh, we really believe that it's going to be really effective. It's going to help deepen some of these existing relationships. It's going to make sure that all of us are cared for, uh, looked into uh, in this time of shaking. So I encourage you to do so. Now, today we will be launching a new series. It's called People of the Spirit. Now, I'm so excited to kick this off. This is week one. We will have uh, another nine weeks to go. It's a 10-week series. And as always, you know, week one, I'm laying some of the groundwork. It's going to be very foundational stuff. I'm looking forward to developing this idea in the weeks to come. And as always, let's pray before we dive into God's Word together. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity of coming to you in your presence, of uh, learning and looking into your word. And God, we recognize that this is a privilege. It's not something that we are entitled to. But God, through your son's sacrifice on the cross, we have been invited and given permission to experience you, your presence, to learn from your word. And God, we thank you in this time that it's not just a vain study exercise, but it's a moment in time where we lean into your spirit, where our hearts are inclined to hear from you, O oh God. So Lord, I pray even as we read the scriptures, God, let our hearts burn with a passion to hear from you. God, we thank you for this time and we are expectant for how you are going to meet us even whilst we are scattered in our homes and we are isolated from one another, God, we thank you that there is no uh, division, there is no uh, disconnection, there is no uh, distance uh, because of your Spirit. Your Spirit is in all of our homes, it's in, in, uh, it's in us. God, we thank you for the work of the Spirit. We thank you for your name. Thank you for your word. Speak to us, we pray. In your name. Amen. So let's kick off with a passage of scripture even as we begin this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, it says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness, or in some translations, authenticity of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is God's word. Now I saw an, a title for an article recently that went 
I can't wait for social distancing to be over so I can be alone again. Now, it's a really funny statement, but what the writer is describing is what many of us are experiencing in this moment. This kind of pent-up angst and uh, irritability uh, that rises to the surface, that comes from being cooped up in a confined space with the same person, with the same people, for a prolonged period of time. And many of us are in that kind of uh, state. Now, don't get me wrong. Amy, is my wife, is an absolute saint. She can do almost no wrong. Uh, she has had to, uh, besides juggle her own responsibilities, double up as my workout partner, my sous chef, my counsellor, my therapist, my support sister, my cheerleader. She's heavily loaded. And if I can be honest, she has had to at times bear the brunt of my moodiness, my grouchiness, my irritability, my bad mood. And I don't know how many of you would admit to say that you really haven't been your best self in this time. Good stuff hasn't really emerged in this time of pressure. Maybe you have snapped a bunch at your spouse or your kids. Maybe you've defaulted to escapist behaviours to drown out feelings of anxiety. And maybe you've been thinking about yourself a whole lot and not all that concerned about the needs around you. Whatever have you, I don't know how many of you can say that you are proud of the way you have conducted yourself, particularly in the last couple of months. I think of that uh, overused and incredibly cheesy analogy of, you know, when you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice, but when you squeeze a Christian, will you get Christ? And if I can admit to say, uh, I have been squeezed, there's so much pressure uh, that's coming around on all sides, and I would admit to say that not a whole lot of ton, not a whole lot of Christ has come out of me in this time, and I wonder if you would admit so as well. Yet with all the ugly that I'm seeing emerge in this time, I can't think of a more opportune moment for spiritual formation, for growth, for discipleship like this one. For ourselves, first of all, but also for the church and for the world in which we live in. Now the text that we read earlier, the Apostle Peter is drawing from a well-known metaphor in the ancient world that is the refining and working of metals, or another term would be metallurgy. Now, in the modern world, our world, fire symbolizes passion and zeal, right? Think about that saying, you know, when you would describe a person who is really passionate for God, you'd say that person is on fire. Think fire emojis. Think, man, that performance was fire. And fire in our modern vernacular would symbolize, would be a metaphor for passion. But in the ancient world, it's different. Fire was not so much a metaphor for passion, but it was that of purity. Specifically, it was a word picture for the refining, the purification of metals, and then the working of metals molding in into stuff of use. Now, the end process will look something like this. First, the craftsman would heat the metal in a container called a crucible. And a crucible was a container to hold all of the metal and the heat together. And then the craftsman will keep the crucible over a flame, over a fire for a period of time until all the metal uh, turns molten. And then when it turns molten, all the impurities or slag or stuff that isn't supposed to be there, it could be dirt, air pockets, it would rise up to the surface. And then the craftsman would skim all the impurities, all the slag off the surface, and then after which you would pour the pure metal into a mold, and over time that metal, after it's cooled, would be formed and shaped 
into what the crossman has in mind. Now, it should come as no surprise to you that the crucible or the container used to heat up metals, this place of great heat and pressure, has historically been an apt metaphor to describe trials and its role in our spiritual formation and maturity. Merriam-Webster interestingly describes the crucible, that container, in three ways. First, it's a vessel used for melting a substance that requires a high degree of heat. Two, a severe test. And the third, a place or situation in which concentrated forces interact or influence change or development. Trials, challenges, COVID-19, this moment that we're living in, is a kind of crucible. And I'd like to submit to all of you that right now, all of us, as humanity, as followers of Jesus, we are living in a crucible moment. A crucible moment. Now, this crucible moment, like the actual crucible, puts heat under us and gets our soul into a state where it is far more malleable and formable, think molten metal. And it also surfaces the slag, the impurities that we have perhaps buried deep down in our souls and have glanced over in the busyness of life, and it brings it all to light. It's all coming up. And this process, though painful, though confronting, it refines our soul and reshapes it to fit a new mold, what the artist has in mind. And for many of us, this season has been nothing short of a trial or a time of suffering. And we are all suffering in various degrees, but all of us are suffering to some extent. And this difficulty of this season is really, much of it is really bringing our character to the surface, both the good and the bad. If I can use a cooking analogy, right, you know, I make a mean Guinness beef stew. Mean one, you know, it's one of the best I've ever had, if I can say so myself. And the stew, you know, whenever I want to cook it and serve it for a party, I would start as early in the morning as I can. And I would cook it, put all the ingredients, have it stewed, and I would leave it over the fire for hours upon hours. Because here's what it does, right? When leave it on the fire, when it's exposed to that heat, you know, it stews, you know, the flavor profile becomes more robust, the taste becomes phenomenal. And the longer I keep it on the fire, the more intense the flavor will be. That fire will intensify that which is good. But you know, if you cook, right, you know that sometimes, you know, pans will have a bit of that leftover soot, you know, burn marks, or maybe food that you really didn't clean properly. And when you put it on the fire, over time, you would find a smell begin to emerge, and this smell would smell absolutely horrible, and it will ruin whatever food that you're cooking. And the analogy here is this, right? That fire intensifies. It intensifies the good, and it also intensifies the bad. It intensifies the flavor profile, but it also intensifies that burnt smell. And this is what we are experiencing and what we are seeing even in humanity. We're seeing the good being amplified, being intensified, but we're also seeing the bad amplified in many ways. 
we see the good intensifying, right? Countless individuals, organizations stepping in to meet areas of need. We see the good of humanity through the sheer selflessness of our frontline work, front workers. We see the good of humanity through small businesses who, despite being badly hit, are giving all they can. And we see the good of humanity in random acts of kindness, in understanding, in generosity, and selflessness. But we also see the bad of humanity, the bad in humanity intensifying all around us. We see many being selfish in this time, right? Fear has driven many into self-preservation. We see it in a lack of understanding, grace, and patience. We see it in a kind of first world entitlement that doesn't think twice about the oppression and suffering of another person in favor for one's comfort. We see divorce rates skyrocketing when the lockdown was lifted off of China. Divorce rates rose to unprecedented significant numbers. We also see the rise of abuse numbers in households. We see the bad in humanity in blame displacement, in xenophobia, in racism, in judgment. And we see the bad in humanity in injustices that has uh, surfaced in this time, even in our own city, particularly our treatment of migrant workers and the marginalized. We're seeing some of the best moments, the best aspects of humanity, but we're also seeing some of the worst. And now we are also, you know, in this crucible experience, being perhaps more acquainted with the best and the worst aspects of ourselves. It's rising everything, it's bringing everything to the surface. Maybe we haven't been as gracious as we wanted to be. Maybe we haven't been as disciplined as we thought we would be. Perhaps in this time, you like me had this grand vision of spiritual growth, right? We're going to bear down, we're going to be so committed to spiritual disciplines, but yet at the same time, you want to binge on Netflix. Maybe you want to be a kinder person at home, yet for the most part you've been grouchy, dismissive, or perhaps reclusive. You want to be passionate for God, yet we're defaulting to escapist behaviors, not utilizing our time well, maybe even indulging in sin. It's just a war of desires, right? I think that's the best way I can describe what's happening in our hearts right now. Even as these things come to the surface, it's a war of conflicting desires. We want to do this, but yet we're pulled in this other direction. There's a war within us. And I think of that line from Romans chapter 7, verse 19, where you read of Paul's deep inner conflict, his lament, his sorrow, his pain. And this so aptly describes and paints a picture of the human condition. He says this, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And read this line that he has a desire to do good, yet he's constantly finding himself leaning in, doing things that are evil, that are contrary to that which is desires. And this place of inner turmoil, of conflict, is where many of us are at even this day. Even in this time of great pressure, we are noticing that we are not defaulting and leaning into God, His ways, His statute, but we're leaning in to much of what the world thinks, wants, and has conditioned us to think it's acceptable, it's right, it's good. Something that I've been feeling lately in my heart is just a feeling of disappointment. And this might sound really emo, but track along with me for, for just a moment. I've been really feeling disappointed with uh, myself. I've been feeling really disappointed myself. You know, I, I thought that, uh, that I would emerge out of this circuit breaker period with 
rock hard abs, you know, I was like, man, with all this time, I'm just going to work out every single day for like hours upon hours. That didn't last really long, you know, Deliveroo has been my constant companion and friend. We've become really acquainted over this time. And much of the disappointment can be really trivial, right? You think that, wow, you know, you want to work out. Maybe you, like me, haven't been doing uh, so well in that department. And uh, maybe, you know, you had this goal to fix all these broken things in your house and realize that you have no skills. You have zero skills and you can't fix anything. And you're feeling disappointed with yourself. Uh, those kind of disappointments might be a bit trivial. But there are some really real and confronting kind of disappointments. Maybe you, like me in this time, are realizing how little you actually love God. And it's not that we don't love God, but we love other stuff, other things. And perhaps we've come to love other stuff, other things, prefer other things more than God. You know, I honestly thought that this period where I've been given so much time, that I'm going to emerge on this time like the most spiritual person on planet Earth. I've always said of myself and to other people that if I had more time, if I had more margin, if I had more space, I would like bear down deep into God's word. I would be praying all the time. I would be like working on some of these character flaws and leaning into the spirit for wisdom, for counsel. And I've said that often that if I had more time, I would be like so much more whole, so much more spiritual, so much more on fire. And this has been so enlightening to me, right? Because that which I always thought I needed to be spiritual has been given to me, but I haven't been all that faithful with it. And I wonder if you're feeling this kind of sense of disappointment in your heart as well, right? It's when you have a vision for your life that you have gleaned from God's word and you find yourself constantly falling short and being disappointed. Now, Paul will elaborate further in another letter, this inner battle, this war of conflicting desires, this intensifying of both the good and the bad, and wanting to lean into the good, yet struggling to do so. He describes this war that we experience within us, this battle of conflicting desires, as a fight between the spirit and the flesh. Spirit and the flesh. And we read about it in his letter to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5. And now this will be the te teaching text for the series. Let's read this text together. Galatians chapter 5. In Paul's words, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
This is God's word. Now, even reading through that list of the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, consider for a moment which do you primarily identify with in, in terms of your conduct in this time. Do you, will you say that you're one who walks in love, in joy, in peace, in forbearance, in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control? Or perhaps have you, you know, leaned in more to the flesh with fits of rage, jealousy, envy, selfish ambition, drunkenness, idolatry. Now, this is a big chunk of text and we'll work through it in the next nine weeks. And, you know, I talk a lot about like the bad that we're seeing in humanity and the stuff that we're seeing emerge even in our hearts. A word that would adequately sum up all that we're seeing and experiencing this time is the word the flesh. We're seeing much of the flesh emerge in this time. So the idea here is for us to dive in to discover what it will look like for people who've been so overwhelmed and so uh, met with God's Spirit. What does it look for people who have God's Spirit embodied and living in them, right? What does it look like for such a people to live in an age, in the time of the flesh, where many are defaulting to responses of self-preservation, of debauchery, of idolatry. What does it look like for us to be the people of God in this time? And that's what we're going to explore and dive into in the weeks to come. But today for a start, I want to quickly draw your attention to a couple aspects of this text. And we'll close off with uh, revealing and launching a new practice that we're getting a whole church on board in this time. The first observation is this. In Paul's uh, letter to Galatians, he describes this constant battle, this conflict between the spirit and the flesh, and he describes it as two fundamental operating systems that are in constant war with each other. I'd like to say this, that it is impossible, it is possible for these two operating systems to operate together. It's like shoving the inferior Android operating system into the brilliant iPhone. It doesn't work, it doesn't happen. And <laughs> I might have lost some of you there, but you get what I'm saying. Now, Paul describes these two fundamental operating systems, right? The first being the spirit, which is living God's way, embodying God's character, obeying God's law. And the next being the flesh. These two compelling, uh, uh, competing desires are waging war within you, whether you're aware of it or not. Now, what is a flesh? You know, the flesh uh, in the Greek is the word sarkos or sucks. And it could mean multiple stuff and it's used multiple different ways in the Bible. Uh, first being the human body, this body that we are living in. Uh, the second being sexual intercourse and marriage. Think of one flesh, one sarkos. And the third in Philippians we read uh, is used to describe a person's ethnicity and it's used is described multiple ways. But in this text, flesh refers to something entirely different. Timothy George uh, says this, that flesh refers to the fallen human nature, the center of human pride and self-willing. Flesh is the arena of indulgence and self-assertion, the locale in which the ultimate sin reveals itself to be the false assumption of receiving life, not as the gift of the creator, but procuring it by one's own power of living from oneself rather than from God. Now, a simple way of putting it is the flesh, it's this desire, this form of rebellion and uh, a kind of independence that we have drummed up for ourselves that says God's way is not the way. I am in, I'm self-aware enough to know what is best, 
what is right, what I need in my life. And a simple way of putting the flesh uh, in order for us to understand easily grass is that uh, of disordered desires is stuff that we've come to prefer over God, His ways, His statutes, His words. And many of us are beginning to be confronted with these painful realities. The best analogy I can think of to describe the war that's within us, I'm just using myself as an example, it's an analogy. Uh, suppose I go for a walk later. Okay, I go for a walk wearing my mask, safe distancing, all that good stuff. And as I walk down the street, a female jogger jogs by me and she's wearing little to no clothing, right? She jogs by me and my eyes catch her for just a quick moment, just a quick glance. And all of a sudden, I'm filled with these feelings of uh, just feelings of attraction, right? And she jogs past me. And these feelings are fleeting, but they are strong. They are real and I can, and it's palpable. These are real feelings. Now, I love my wife dearly. You all know that. I love my wife dearly. And my desire is to honour her in marriage, to love her with all that I have, with all that I can. But in that moment, I'm confronted with these really strong feelings. But deep down, my truest desire is to honour my wife. And so in that moment, it is a fight where I fend off these feelings in order to stay true to my deepest desire. And this is what happens in life. This is what happens in our, following, in our apprenticeship to Jesus, in us pursuing God. It is a fight. It is a war of desires where we realize as Christ followers, people of the word, people who lean in the spirit, that our deepest desire, all of humanity's deepest desire is Jesus. We are created to long for fellowship, to long for intimacy with God. And in many ways, the world in its advertisements, in its conditioning, in what is deemed as societally, societally acceptable, has conditioned us to think otherwise. But as followers of Jesus, as people of the Spirit, we have to war against the inclinations of the flesh to lean in and to desire for lesser things and come back to our true north, as it were, our deep desire for God. Your strongest feelings, I would like to put it to you, aren't always your deepest desire. And you and I, we have this kind of flesh, this thing in us that is bent in rebellion against God. But you also have a spirit which yearns and longs for communion and fellowship with the one who created you. We see this warning at the end of the passage. As Paul talks about the flesh, that those who live like this, those who live in accordance to the flesh, giving in to those desires that are contrary to the way of Jesus, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's super strong language, right? You know, and we often glance by it and we hand wave it off. But think about what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that those who live according to the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this kingdom, we can read of it as both here and not yet. Not yet meaning eternity with God, being in heaven, experiencing Him in His all His glory, wonder and splendor, that which is to come. But it, it also refers to the kingdom now. It refers to the realities of God's kingdom that He desires for you to experience on earth as His good gift, as His good will to you. Things stuff like love, joy, peace, fulfillment. How many of us can say that that is a constant in our lives? And this leads us to ask some, few, some serious questions, right? A few serious questions. First of all, have you experienced a war of desires within you in this time? Have you 
been confronted with the reality that you have competing desires. That though you say you love God, you desire His way, that you're confronted with your desire for other things or lesser things. Next, what fleshly desires and reactions have emerged in this time? Even as you feel anxious, even as you're cooped up at home, what, what of the flesh has come up in this time? You know, maybe it's fits of rage. Maybe it's self-preservation tendency. Maybe it's ambition. Maybe it's envy and jealousy. What has come up in this time? What has God in this crucible moment surfaced in you in this time? The last thing is this. What is God bringing to the surface through this trial that you are to work on, that you are to bear down on and fix? Now, these are painful questions to, co- to confront, but they are so crucial. And I invite you to ask these questions, uh, perhaps even right now, at end of service or sometime during the week. These are important questions for us to answer. Now, next, I would like to quickly draw your attention to Paul's interesting use of the word fruit to describe what the Holy Spirit does in us. It's interesting, right? First of all, notice that the word used here is fruit. Singular, not plural. My wife Amy pointed this out to me many years ago. Now, the fruit of the Spirit isn't like the gifts of the Spirit in the sense of it isn't an optional list that you pick, choose, or specialize in one or two. Where the gifts of Spirit are concerned, it is clear that some of us are more inclined or more apt in a particular gift. But the fruit is different. We are to endeavor to embody the fruit in its entirety. Willard has this to say. He says this, that love captures this fruit in one word, but does so in such a concentrated form that it needs to be spelled out. Thus, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Greek word for fruit here is singular showing that fruit is a unified whole, not independent characteristics, but as we grow, all the characteristics of Christ will be manifested in our lives. And the goal here isn't a list of nine. It is Christ-likeness. It's becoming like Jesus. Now, in the text, Paul draws a contrast, we can see already, between the spirit and the flesh. But notice he also draws a contrast between fruit and works. It is the fruit of the Spirit as supposed to the works of the flesh. Which seems to suggest to us that the fruit of the Spirit is directly opposed to works. The Greek word translated fruit refers to the natural product of a living thing. Paul used fruit to help us understand the product of the Holy Spirit who lives inside every believer. He's saying that the fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's produced by the Spirit, not so much by the Christian. Now, I love this quote by Sinclair Ferguson. She says this, The fruit of the Spirit is fundamentally relational. Rather than originating from us, it flows to us from our union with Christ, and it flows beyond us to bring us into fellowship with others. The secret of this flow and of our unity with God and others is humility, is recognizing that we can't do it on our own. We need God. We need a power that's far beyond us. That we're not capable in and of ourselves to produce this fruit. We can't train ourselves to become more patient, to become more kind, to become more loving. We need the Spirit. Then this leads us to think of the verse in John chapter 15. You can't talk about fruit and not reference John chapter 15. I think there's a biblical rule there, and I think they teach him that in seminary. But John chapter 15, familiar passage of scripture, it goes like this. 
Verse 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain. Or in some translations, abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now here we see that God has a role. Spirit has a role. And that is to cause us to bear fruit. And we have a role. It is to remain. To produce fruit, that's not our job. Our role here in this equation, it is to remain. I personally believe that at the center of spiritual formation, of discipleship, spiritual growth, this whatever have you, the central goal of all that we're trying to do here is to cause us to learn how to remain, to abide, in the language of Brother Lawrence, practice the presence of God. So even as before we even begin this series and endeavor to dive into each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, we have to come to this fundamental idea and conclusion here, that this fruit that we're talking about is not the byproduct of your trying. It comes from abiding. It comes from being with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is the result of an abiding life, not the means thereof. And so through the weeks, as we call you to respond as a people of the Spirit in an age of the flesh, we are calling you to the characteristics as important as it is. We are calling you to abide. We are calling you to meet with Jesus who causes us to bear fruit. He alone causes us to bear fruit. So in this time, as you find a whole lot of stuff rising to the surface, don't give in to the temptation to withdraw to try and sort it out on your own. Instead, lean into the Spirit. He is what will produce this fruit in you. You can't do it in and of yourself. Now, abiding. That sounds easy and simple. But how and where do we even begin? Now, it's with that that I'd like to close off with introducing you to this idea, this new spiritual practice called a rule of life. Now, this might sound new and foreign, but it has been practiced by followers of Jesus for over a millennium. It's an ancient practice, but I believe it's so relevant for this modern times that we're living in. Now, rule of life, if I can unpack it for you, it's a schedule or set of practices and relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world for us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what he did. Passion statement. To live to the full in the words of John in his kingdom. Now, rule of life is ancient language. So for some of us, it sounds a bit alien and a bit odd. But the first clarification I'd like to make that is, is that it is a rule of life, not rules for life. What a word rule might strike you as strict, binding or constraining is derived from the Latin word regula, which simply means rhythm, regularity or pattern or routine. Now, the word rule here is also used because it's connected to the Greek word for trellis. Now, early followers of Jesus used that metaphor of Jesus calling followers to abide in the vine, John chapter 15, and formed this idea of a trellis or rule of life. Because if you think of a, about a vine, it needs a trellis or else it would only bear a fraction of the fruit it is capable of and will be susceptible to wild animals and disease. 
In the same way, human beings, we need a kind of trellis, we need a kind of rule to bear the maximum amount of fruit in our life. We need a trellis or some kind of support structure for our lives to make space for us to remain in Jesus, to abide and live in alignment with our truest desires. Especially so in this time of chaos, we need to gravitate towards more order instead of away from it. Spontaneity is great, right? Be spontaneous, be fun. But in a time where we see much chaos, where much has been disrupted in our schedules and our hearts, we need to gravitate towards more order instead of away from it. And many of you have experienced the downsides of spontaneity. Many of you have been sleeping at 5 in the morning. I know who you are. And many of you have been waking at 12 in the afternoon and you're not all that satisfied with your life rhythms now. Perhaps it's because you have been too spontaneous and you need a bit of schedule. You need a rule of life. Now, regardless of your personality type, life always requires a balance between structure and spontaneity, between chaos and order. So as a pastoral team, we have designed for all of you, every single member of our church, a rule of life, specifically for this COVID-19 circuit breaker period, online gathering season, whatever have you. And it's something that we've been working on for a really long time. Now, typically when we roll out stuff like that, we've always described or packaged it as a kind of resource, meaning it's optional, use it as you want, use it as a deem fit fit. But as your pastor, as the spiritual leader of this church, as your fellow brother in Christ, I'm calling for all of you, every single member of our church, to adopt this rule of life, to adopt this structure, to adopt this practice, uh, spiritual rhythms, uh, whatever have you. This is so crucial because I firmly believe, and I'm convicted of this, that if we were to adopt these practices, it will make for a life of flourishing, for us to thrive in this season. Not just survive it, not just make it through, but actually emerge better on the other side. And I think this is an opportune moment, a crucible moment for us to bear down deep in God, in our relationships, for us to emerge stronger as a community on the other side. This is the rule of life. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just read through the list of 10. I might draw your attention to a couple others, but if you want more information on the rule of life, please go to our website. It's all on there, and our life groups will talk about it uh, in the coming weeks. So here's our rule of life. It's a list of 10 things, as you can see on the screen right now. And it's as simple as starting your day with devotion. We have made available the daily for this. Uh, choosing simple living. Uh, more elaboration on our site. I'd like to draw your attention to number three, fasting on Tuesdays. We're calling our entire church to a corporate fast on Tuesdays. Now, this can be as simple as fasting a meal to fasting for the entire day. And I really believe that there is no spiritual practice that gives us more uh, momentum in defeating the flesh like fasting. In fasting, we starve the flesh and we feast on the spirit. But fasting is also a great way for us to intensify prayer for us to uh, engage our whole bodies, not just our mouth, not just our mind, but people have often talked about how fasting is like praying with your body. And in fasting, we do that. We, add, we put our entire bodies into a place of inter intercession. But fasting is also for a way for us to stand in solidarity uh, with the poor. It's for us to experience for a moment what many have ex are experiencing uh, 
for days, for months, in their entire lives. And so uh, this is what we're calling us to as a church, to fast together on Tuesdays. Now, number four, you know, is to pray for others with others. We have Zoom prayer rooms that have been going on for a while. Encourage you in this time to not just pray for yourself, your own needs, but to pray for others. And a great way for us to engage in intercessory prayer is by doing it together. And so we've made available this resource. And simple things like relational touch points, staying engaged with us, keeping the Sabbath is so important for us to keep the Sabbath in this time, even as our days are blurred, for us to dedicate, for us to set apart, to consecrate a day, a moment in time for worship, for devotion to God. Limiting screen time priorities, prioritize Sunday service and to practice generosity. And this is our rule of life. And we believe that these spiritual rhythms, these habits, these practices, some of them mundane, some of them a bit of effort is needed on your part. These practices, this rule of life will make for a life of flourishing. So I want to encourage you to take this on, to adopt it in its entirety and watch what God, His Spirit will do in your life. Now, many of you might look at this list of 10 and go, this is way too much. This honestly sounds like a lot, right? But if you are honest, the truth is we, we have the time. We do have the time now. And the question is, what do we actually do with the time? Now, perhaps almost every author I've come to admire, mentor I have in my life, or people I, that I know who follow Jesus really well, all of them have this in common that the start of their journey of transformation began with a reordering of their schedules. And while this might seem insignificant to you, think about it this way. You can't do heart surgery on yourself to reorder your disordered desires, right? But what you can do, what is in your control, is reordering your schedules to prioritize what you desire, you deem as important. And over time, a reordered schedule will tutor your heart to desire for that which is right. And this is what we're going to do. This is what happens when we adopt this rule of life. As I said at the start of the message, we are living in a crucible moment. Challenging, but in many ways a gift. An opportunity for stuff to be taken out of us and for us to be formed and molded by God in this time. A phrase that has been popularized in this time, we see it all over Instagram, social media, maybe some of you have it tattooed on your sleeves already, is this phrase, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. And it's such a great statement, right? It conveys such hope that is needed in this hour. COVID-19 will pass. It won't be forever. This crisis, just like many other crises before it, will pass. And we can hope that it will. But I'd like to submit to you today that as the crisis passes, and it will, so well our opportunity for spiritual growth and a deep work of formation. Would you sit idly by and let time pass you? Or would you lay hold of this crucible moment that you've been given? As God in His mercy surfaces the hidden things, would you respond to the work of the Spirit and lay hold of Him in this time? This could be the greatest opportunity for spiritual formation that you will ever have. This could be the turning point for a marriage gone awry. This could be the time where you create memories with your children that they will share with their children long after you're gone. This could be the moment where we deal with such deep dysfunctions that we have perhaps ignored through the busyness of our life. This could be the hour where we rise up in faith as a church to actually live out much of what we profess to believe in. This is the crucible. 
It's a place of great pain, but we take heart knowing that the master crossman, our God, is at work here. And he's sifting out all that should be and molding us into all that we could be. Let's pray, even as we close this time. Father, we recognize in this moment that, God, you're doing a deep work in our hearts, in our church, in our nation. And, God, we recognize the work of the Spirit. God, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness. God, that you have allowed for these things to come up, for much to be revealed in this time. God, we thank you for your sovereignty. And, God, we ask, even as we lean in to your work, even as we adopt a rule of life in this time, even as we make practical changes to our schedules, to our lifestyle, in order to lean into you. God, give us grace. Give us grace. Empower us by your grace, Holy Spirit. We recognize in humility even this day that we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to engineer any kind of transformation, any kind of change. We need you, Holy Spirit. And God, we ask in this time that we will be faithful. We will be faithful in this time, even as you do a deep work in our hearts. God, we, res- we, we pray that we will be a people of appropriate response, that we will not sit idly by and watch time pass, but we will lean in and lay hold of you in this time. God, we thank you for your work. We thank you for your spirit. Lead and guide us in this time. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.